God is good, isn't he, all the time? God is always good. Always good to us. No matter what we think, he is always good. And we love him, don't we? We love him so much. Our love can never compare to his love, but we love him with the best that we can. And that's all he's asking of us. And I just thank you, Lord. Just thank you, Lord, you're here today. His word is here. The Lord has preserved his word. God preserved his word for these thousands of years. It's so important that we don't neglect it. He preserved it for a reason. And we thank you, God, that you are still speaking. You know, God is still speaking. As I just said that in prayer, God is still speaking. God never stops speaking. He is still. It's like a radio. And if you are on the wrong channel, you're going to hear noise. You have to tune into the right channel to hear him. And I don't want to get new agey and get weird, but we have so much other stuff floating around. We're listening to so many other influences and even positive things. There's so much, um, you know, the world won't call, the modern Western world that we live in is not going to even call it new age. They don't even know. But there's so much positive thinking, positive speaking, but without God. It's It's still godless. But it sounds like God. There's a lot of things that sound good, and they're, they're just so there's so much stuff out there that we can actually get confused. We get confused and we think, well, that's godly, that's not godly, and we need to go to His Word. We should always filter everything through the Word of God. As I say many times, and I alluded to it last week, if not, then we might as well just make our own thing up. If we don't have some sort of a compass, to lead us, then we might as well just make it up as we go along. Why follow any of it if you're not going to follow all of it and believe it? And we just make it up and we say, oh, Jesus, I think Jesus is this and Jesus was that. Jesus is who the word says he was. And until we come to that revelation, we cannot listen. It doesn't matter what they say out there. It doesn't matter what talk show, <laughs> what book, What friend or family member has really good things to say if it's not word, if it's not from the word of God, to be honest, to be brutally honest, it's worth nothing. And in fact, it's just going to bring confusion. So we must go to his word, and the Lord had that as his intro. I didn't plan that intro. But the Lord is speaking today still, and I just want to preach a very simple message to you today as we go into um, this Christmas season There's so much busyness, so much running in a time um, that uh, is supposed to be about giving, supposed to be about taking that time. First of all, we celebrate Christ's birth, but then we do something in that season, which is the exchanging of gifts, that giving of ourselves, giving to someone else. Better to give than receive. And so in Christmas season, as we uh, should be in a season of giving, we, we sometimes, and, and that's why you see those signs out there, keep Christ in Christmas. Have you seen those? Keep Christ in Christmas. Because Christmas, this season, has become something else. You just become run, 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 run. <laughs> Let's get another deal, deal, deal for myself. <laughs> Most of the people waiting at the Black Friday lines now are not thinking about, their, about someone else anymore. It's like, well, I need this TV. This is going to be a great TV for me. Anyway, that's, I'm going to leave that there. 
Let's turn uh, in the Bible here to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you've been a believer some time, you know this chapter well. I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's only 13 verses. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 beginning with verse 1. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. It says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body as a martyr, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love, and you know these verses. I'm just going to just soak in these. I'm just going to breeze through. I'm not going to hang here today, but I just want to breeze through these verses. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Just like the world today. Let's just go back to that one more time. Just like the world, incredibly patient and kind. We're not jealous or boastful or proud. So we can tell the Western world is definitely walking in love today. Verse 5, it's not rude, doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. Wow, this doesn't sound like our world today, does it? It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking an unknown language and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. See, the human knowledge of even of God Who knows more about God today than you did when you were first a believer? Anybody in here grown in the Lord? Of course. And yet it still says our knowledge is partial. We don't even understand. Even science is unraveling that there are, the last time I heard, 32 dimensions, I think it was, last time I heard, that is. I don't even know what that means. And yet that's science trying to understand the unknown. The unknowns of God is just, it's beyond our human capability of understanding. And it says that all those things, they only, even our knowledge, this temporary thing, we only have a partial picture. Verse 10, it says, but when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. So God gave us prophecy to understand the things that we don't understand. But even in time, in time, even that will become useless to understand the things that we don't understand. But he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And he says, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, speaking of heaven, speaking of when our, we're 
There is no death, only the body dies, but when one day you are out of the body, whether Jesus comes back to get you or you go to heaven to meet him, when the body is gone and you are just spirit and you don't have all that other noise in your soul and all those other feelings of bitterness and anger and jealousy and distractions and all that stuff that we're fighting through and the Lord helps us do it, but we're still, you know, we have to be honest, are dealing with those things We're dealing with anger. We're dealing with issues constantly. And one day, none of that will be there. One day, we'll just be able to see clearly. Right now, it's partial and complete. But one day, all of that will be away. And it says, verse 13, it says, and I love how the NLT, I did a lot of studying on this because there's a lot of different translations of verse 13. And after all my studies, I think the NLT translates it best. Because it says, you may know it as these thing, three things will abide. And that word abide is translated the word remain. These three things remain. They'll stay. They're going to stick around. Even after all of that, it says now. And so I think the NLT does it best. It says these three things will last forever, even when all the incomplete, or when all is pushed away, and all of those things, and all the, the knowledge that you think you have that you don't, When all of that is washed away, there's something that will last. And it says faith, hope, and everybody say that third word out loud, love. And the greatest of these or the most enduring or the longest lasting or the glue that holds it all together is love. This is such a simple thing, and yet it's such a complex thing because just like the song says, what is love? (laughs) What is love? The world is still trying to define what love is. And actually, we're constantly redefining love, aren't we? We're constantly redefining love. See, the world says, if I love my wife, that's love. But I'm allowed to hate the person that murders. I'm allowed to hate the evil person. And the world would have no problem with that. That would make sense. I love that person that loves me. I'm in a love relationship. I love the children. But I can hate the evil one. And yet Jesus and his word, because we must define everything in God by his word. We cannot define it by our emotions and by the culture, because that will constantly change. You will change, and so is the culture around you going to keep changing. But we must define it by his word. Well, Jesus said, he said, you cannot just love those that love you. You cannot just love those that are easy to love. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, you must love your enemies. So the Bible tells us that love really is Loving those that are unlovable are loving those that are hard to get along with, even those that hate you and curse you and abuse you, even those that would try to physically, not just mentally, many people do it mentally, even the person who would physically try to kill you, Jesus demands of us that we love them. That's real love. Real love is God's love. It's not what the world says. And it says here in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, 
Let's read this in the New King James. Actually, the NLT is good as well. It says, this is real love, or you know it as in this is love. It says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 11, it says, dear friends, since God loved us, that much, we surely ought to love each other. But what kind of love is that? What kind of love is that that Jesus loved us that much? Well, it says in the book of Romans, let me just turn here quickly, and this is a little out of order for my notes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, Everybody, I want you to read this out loud. When we were utterly helpless, I'll just read this out loud. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people, verse 7, would not be willing to die for an upright person. How do you even define what an upright person is anyway? If you asked every person in here, you'd all have a different opinion. See, what Jesus defined is that there is no good. There's no one good. There's nothing good. There's nothing good in your humanity. That's why we need Christ. That's why we must let the Word teach us. We must let the Holy Spirit teach us His Word because there is no such thing as good anyway. Only God is good, the Bible tells us. So it says no one would die for an evil person. It says someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his true love. God defined what love is. God showed us his great love. Everybody say God gave us the definition of love. We are not permitted to love when it's convenient. The Bible doesn't give us permission to love when it's easy. The Bible doesn't give us permission to love when we're loved back. Love does not require two people. Dawn and I are in love. We're in a covenant of love. That's in love. But she doesn't have to love me for me to love her. And I don't have to love her for her to love me. Love is, is a choice. It's not a feeling. It comes really from one person. Now, the union of love, the same union of love that uh, Ephesians defines that we can have with Jesus is amazing. When the two loves come together, the union of love is, is amazing. But love is sacrificial. Love is death of me. In fact, the Bible defines, and I use this analogy often because that's what the word gives us of a husband and wife, but it says that love is, my body is yours. I'm yours. I, I, I'm here for you, and then you're here for me. We have given ourselves to each other, and then the Bible says the two flesh have become one. We enter to that union, but I've already given myself. I don't give 50%. She gives 50%, and we create 100 it's 100% of us, 100% of the other, and 100% of God has been given to us. Not only did God give us 100%, but 
But it says that what real love is, his great love for us, is that he died for us while we were sinners. Before you were even born, before you even thought to commit those sins, Jesus got on the cross willingly for you and defined love. If we went into the world today and we would ask the definition of love, I highly doubt that this verse would come up. <laughs> it's easy to love those that love us. It's easy to love those that we get along with. It's easy to love those that, you know, we share the same opinions with. There's all this floating around about hate and love. And it's just a bunch of junk, to be honest. It's just the devil. The devil just wants to stir us up and get us all frustrated. And then when he tries to, then now that we're all fighting and warring with each other, then we have this word being thrown around, love. But it's not even the word that God gave us anyway. It's just a word. It comes with this definition that the world is defining and constantly changing. But the Bible tells us that real love is, first of all, only God can actually do it. Let me just say that again. Only God can actually love. You are not capable of loving. Wow, that's bold. In fact, you ready? You're not capable of doing anything. So don't be surprised that you can't love. Jesus doesn't ask you in your human nature to do anything. The Bible actually says in Ephesians and in Colossians that you died. So it's not you loving anymore anyway. You can't pat yourself on the back and say, I love that unlovable person and I'm proud of that. Because if you truly love them and you're not just in pride then you're not even thinking about it anyway. That's a sharp statement. Thank you, Holy Spirit. What is love? And let's just read some verses here. The Word defines it for us in John chapter 13, and I'm going to be reading mostly John here because John is considered the, the love guy in the Bible. The book of John is the love book. In fact, we start new believers in the book of John. We just had a John start coming to the church, and I told him to start in the book of John. That's where we start. Because John just, he tells the gospel, tells the facts as, as the other gospels do, but he fills it with so much of the essence of God, which is love. And he does the same thing in his other books in 1 John, 2 John. And in John chapter 13, verse 34... It says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other as people love you. Love each other as they love you. Love each other equal to how you're loved. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to love each other just as I have loved you. Well, we just read the verse in Romans, how did God love us? How did Jesus love us? Jesus literally 
God on a cross. Well, let's just be, let's just, you know what? Let me backtrack before the cross. He was mocked, ridiculed by those that should have been waiting for him. He was beaten so severely that the Bible says that you couldn't even tell if he was a man anymore. They wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, paraded him about, making fun of him being some fake king. Then they made him carry his own cross and then put nails through his hands and feet. And while they're doing that, Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it says here in the book of John, I want you to love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. How many of us would let, before the beating, before the crown of thorns, before they led us to the cross, how many of us would have let one insult go by? How many of us respond to the first insult? How about the 10th insult? How about the 100th time? Okay, I can't take anymore. Now I have to speak up. I have a right to respond now because you insulted me just one too many times. It says that Jesus' mouth was silent. His lips were silent before the shear. As a sheep goes silent. We have to define love by the word, just as we have to define every other concept in our lives by the word of God. This okay, guys. Merry Christmas. Christmas season. I'm telling us the, the, the cold, warm, I'm telling us the warm, soft-hearted truth of the Bible as we go into this season. So, because I just... We're so self, even as Christians, we're so self. You know what that means. Everything is, it is hard to break this. It is hard for us to break out of the shell, but everything we do is based on what I think, what I feel, what I want, what's going to make me happy, what do I deserve. Everybody thinks they deserve something. Everybody thinks they don't deserve something. I don't deserve this. I do deserve this. I work hard. Don't say that. TJ works with me, and I've been, and I mean it. He knows I mean it when I say it. I said, I don't say I deserve, and I don't say I got this because I worked hard. You start saying that, you're, you're, you're on a fast track for the Lord to show you real quick that we don't deserve anything. We were just sinners. That he came, he loved us so much that he came and found us, came and found us and showed us his love. We, are, but though are in our humanity, are so self. Everything is self, 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 self. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I deserve. And that's just society. And we are, through Christ, we're breaking, we're breaking that. We keep breaking that. But we, just, we need to be so careful that we don't let it creep in because it will. Anybody with me? Anybody on the same page with me that it creeps in quick? Who thinks about themselves at least once in a day? I'm cold, I'm tired, I'm hungry, this is hard, I don't want to do this, I want to do this. Those are just the real simple stuff before we get into the deep, dark stuff. 
We're always thinking about self, and Jesus showed us that his love, that real love, is sacrificial. It doesn't think of anything else or uh, for himself. It doesn't think of anything for himself, but everything is for the other. He said, your love, verse 35, this is amazing. And this is just, and I, I shared on some of this, I preached some months ago about being a true disciple of Jesus. And if you want to go listen, then maybe I expound a little more on this about what it really means to be a disciple of Christ and that when we love one another, that's when the world takes notice. What does the world think of the church today? I can just, just off the top of my head, just a few, one of the first things that you'll hear is hypocrite. Hypocrite. And I'll not go any further. You can come up with your own lists. I don't need to recite them. Now, the truth is, the devil's in that too, because all he's trying to do is just divide everybody. Unity is what God wants, unity in the body and, and unity of husband and wife, unity in your family, unity in your workplace. Unity works. Disunity does not work. A house divided cannot stand. The Lord wants unity. So all the disunity is just the devil. But with that said, there is some truth to it, isn't there? Because the truth is that we can say, I love, 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 love. I'm this, I'm a believer. And then, but then they look and they say, well, you're worse than I am. They're also defining that through their, mis, their perception. Are we okay, guys? This is a light message, not heavy. Everybody's looking at me so heavy. Come on, this is the word of God. God's good, isn't he? Isn't his love good? When we love each other, it says that the world will take notice. Who wants the world to notice Christ, not notice you? Who wants the world to notice Christ in you? Is there anybody in here who wants your family to be saved? Is there anybody in here that wants your coworkers to go to heaven with you? Is there anybody in here who wants your neighbors, your family, your friends, the world that God has placed you in? There's a world around everyone. Everyone has their own world around them. We only touch, you know, a certain amount of people in our lives. For the, for the most part, we all have a circle. And God has placed you there on purpose. And the Bible says that when they see your love for one another... They're going to know this is the disciple of Jesus Christ. They're not going to just say, well, that's, just a, that's a Christian. They go, oh, that's an NNC. They're going to say, this person's got something that I want. That's Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, we know what real love is. See, the Bible tells us over and over again, I'm reading verse after verse, it tells us, it defines what love is. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to hold on for dear lives so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
Are we giving up our lives for our brothers and sisters? Are we giving to the point of death? Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive? Should I forgive seven times? Now, Jesus says 70 times seven, but really what he meant was, he didn't mean 70 times seven. He just threw out a number really big. It's not 490 times that I want you to forgive. I want you to forgive until you can't forgive anymore, until your lips hurt because you've forgiven, until your body is old and wrinkly and dead. That's how much I want you to forgive. Because that's real love. Is anybody getting anything out of this today? Is this hitting anything? Maybe this, you just put this, put this down inside. God's got something for you with this today. But real love is defined by the word of God. It's literally giving up your lives. That's real love. It says in John chapter 15, verse 12, it says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way. See, Jesus didn't just say it one time. Jesus said this more than once. He said this over and over again to his disciples. I want you to love each other in the, everybody say it out loud, in the same way I have loved you. He said there is, verse 13, no greater love. Again, love is defined. Here it is. Love is defined by this. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, if we go back to chapter 13 in Corinthians, what we're getting is what Paul came in and dealt with is, if you go to chapter 12, is they were talking about the gifts and all the things that the church can do and and speaking in tongues and prophecies And honestly, more than that, that's just the ones he was majoring on in chapter 12. But all the gifts, all the things you can do as a church, all the things you can do as a believer. What he comes into chapter 13 with, he says in the last verse of chapter 12, is let me show you a better way. I'm going to show you even better than all of that. All the stuff you can do. He comes into chapter 13 as we read in verse 1 and says, if I don't have love, it's nothing. And then he says in the very last verse, verse 13, he said, everything else is going to pass away. And, you know, chapter, uh, verse 13 is, as I was doing the studies, and like I said, I think the NLT says it best because it says that these three things will last forever. And that's very controversial because I was, I mean, I, you can get into rabbit holes of studies. That's good rabbit holes, though. And I love studying, and I'm studying all the commentaries and different translations. And some say we don't need faith and hope in heaven because now faith, we have faith for what? Because we don't see, because we don't have it fully yet. We won't need faith because we'll be with Christ. Everything will be completed. We won't need hope, nothing to hope for anymore. And then others said, how can, how can you not have faith and hope? Because God will keep unraveling it in heaven. So I'm just telling, I'm not telling you my opinion. I'm just telling you all the different opinions out there. But what it does say in that verse no matter how you look at it, whether we need faith and hope in heaven or not, is that love lasts forever. The greatest, the thing that never, ever ends. And this is why you know that God doesn't need faith and God doesn't need hope. 
we have faith, we have hope. Our humanity, in our, that, that's that, that wrestling to get away from your human faith is that this is what I see, this is what society tells me, this is what I've been grown up with, I mean, this is what I know, and this is what the word tells me. And that's why we have faith. This is what the Bible tells me. The world says I evolved from this ape. And the Bible says that God spoke into the dust of the earth and breathed his very spirit into my body and I was alive. That takes faith to believe. And you have to hope that he's going to take that body and resurrect it in eternity. That's why we have faith and hope. But God doesn't need those things we do. But what is Love. This is amazing. It says that God is love. First John chapter 4 says that God is love. Let me say that again. God is love. Let's go to chapter 4, and I'm just going to hang there for a few minutes, and then I'll wrap this up. It says in First John chapter 4, verse 7, Everybody doing okay? Everybody doing okay? Yes, okay. Amen. Dear friends, let us continue. Because, of course, we're already loving. Thank you, Lord. We're already loving. We're just going to continue to do what we're already doing. Let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. You cannot love on your own. It comes from God. And now, why is this? You know, they came to Jesus, and you can see it in the Gospels, and there's, there's different accounts in each of the Gospels. They came to Jesus, and they said this. They said, tell us the greatest commandment. They said, tell us the, give us the, the single, the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, sure, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. But there's a second that's equally important. They didn't ask him for two. I went through all the accounts. They're not asking him, give us the top two. But in all the accounts, Jesus gives them two. So there's another one that's equally important. Love others as yourself. Now, why is that? Because you cannot love God. Come on, if you want to, listen, I have a, a hot tub now. And we have these little strips Who's for, or who's got a pool? Little tester strips. If you want to know if that thing's out of balance, put the strip in. It's going to give me my pH, my alkalinity. It's going to tell me if you have a pool or chlorine or, or your bromine for a hot tub. And I know right away if this thing is safe to get in. If you are a believer and you want to put the strip into the water and find out, do I really love God? Do I really love God? Well, then let's just put the strip in and let's, do what the, let's just put it right into the Word and let's pull it out. If you truly love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, you will do the second thing that Jesus asked of us, loving each other as yourself, automatically. Because Jesus never thought about himself once. Jesus thought about us all the way through. And we had done nothing to prove to him that we deserved it. We didn't give him anything. We, could, we didn't show him our righteousness. And yet he laid down his life willingly for us. And then he says to us to do the same. He's not asking us to do anything other than what he did in his life on this earth. 
That's all he's asking of you. Just do what I did. And you say, well, that's impossible. Well, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, something begins to happen. And who's aware of this process? Who's aware that you begin to think differently without somebody even telling you? Who's aware that before you even read the verse in the scriptures, when you truly gave your heart to God and fully surrendered, when you read the verse, the verse didn't teach you something. It confirmed what the Holy Spirit was already doing inside you. Anybody here? Anybody? If you truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, you will love others as yourself automatically. It's like if I plant a seed in the ground, I'm going to get crop. If I turn the key in my car, it's going to start. Enough stupid analogies. But the point is that it is automatic. You do one, you're going to get the other automatically. And if you love God, you will love people. If you don't, if you have a tough time with people, then the Bible says, if you don't, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go into chapter four here. It says it all for me. Amen. It says, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. We love to say we're children of God, right? I'm a child of God. Well, then we love. And you say, I do love. Yes, but the Bible defined what love is. A sacrificial, self-denial not me, even to the cross, even with 10,000 insults and more, even with hatred, even with murder, I still love. That's the love he asked of us. And it says, that's when we're children of God. He said, because verse eight, anyone who does not love, and when we keep reading this word, let's keep defining it by the word. Anyone who does not love in which way? As Christ loved us. Anyone who does not love as Christ loved us in that same capacity and the same level, and we cannot do that in our human strength, but because of the Holy Spirit in us, because we laid down our lives, so it's not us anymore anyway. We're on the cross with Christ, and we've been resurrected with Christ, seated at the right hand of God in Christ, and he is now in this human body instead of us. That's when we know God. For God is love. It's the very nature of God. God is love. And it says, verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Verse 10, as we read earlier, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And it says, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. I love how the NLT says this, because it says, and his love is brought to full expression in us. No one has seen God, but if they see your love, why? Because it's Jesus. Because it's not your love. You're not even capable of loving that way. 
No one is truly capable of being insulted over and over and over again and and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and hated and still loving. You're not capable in your humanity to do that, but through Christ, you can. And through Christ, we keep denying self to the place that we show Christ. He starts showing up. This person... You know how many stories? I've been reading a book again. I read it years ago. It's called The Heavenly Man. Gave it to some people in this church. And it's about a guy in China who was um, arrested for just for being a real Christian. You can be a Christian in China. This is the 1980s, 90s era, even into the 2000s. Uh, but you could be a Christian in China, but it has to be the church of China. They've edited the Bible. They've changed some things and, and, uh, and basically created a watered-down Bible. And you can, as long as you preach to that, you're fine. But the real Bible is hard to find. And, uh, and he prayed, he found, he, a Bible miraculously came to him. He becomes a real deal believer. All he's doing is just sharing Jesus from village to village. And just for that, they arrest him and they end up torturing him for years, years and years and years. And he's in prison away from his family. And, and it's an amazing story because through it all, he has so many testimonies of, well, they're beating him. And the other inmates have no mercy on him. They only get one little thing of soup a day, one piece of bread a day. And then the guy is fasting. I'm like, you already are fasting. You're in prison. You, what is your life? You got one piece of bread. That's fasting. And he won't eat it and gives it. And, uh, and the other inmates, you know, because most people in prison are there for evil stuff. And you got this guy who's in there with these, right in there with the most evil of the evil. But you know what? He has so many testimonies in that book of them saying over time, how can you keep being so kind to me, keep loving me after we have treated you so harshly. Love never fails. That's what it says. It says, when all passes away, love endures. If you want to see those around you saved, love never fails. When someone comes to me and they tell me about somebody in their life they're having a tough time with, I just tell them it's, it, they must think I'm just talking over them. I swear, they must think I'm pacifying their situation because I say, just keep loving them. They must think, no, no, you don't understand. No, but this, 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 and that. I'm like, listen, just keep loving them. Because love, it is, the, it is literally God's DNA. You have to think about this. It doesn't say that God has love. God loves. He did love. But he loved because he is love. So when you love in a way that Christ loves... When you let Christ love through you, you are literally giving somebody God. If you want someone to come to God, you must give them God. And the, the thing is, as believers, what we need to be, I know this is like elementary, but we need to get this, is that the hardest thing is that the world is not going to receive you. Your unsaved friends or family are not going to receive you. Jesus said, if they received me, they would receive you, but they didn't. They rejected me. They killed me. Don't be surprised when they don't want to listen to you. In fact, don't even be surprised when they want to kill you. Literally, physically kill you. Don't be surprised, he tells us. 
But his love was so powerful that these disciples said, even I'll risk my life unto death. His love, Jesus' love, got into these 11 disciples in such a powerful way that we are still here today, 2,000 years later, talking about this story. The story they penned down. Here's John. You know what John calls himself? And I was reading this and I'm laughing. John calls himself in the book of John, you ready? The one whom Jesus loved. I think that's so incredible. Some people call that pride. And then I was reading some commentaries that said it's the opposite of pride. John got this revelation that Jesus loved him. Technically, Peter could have said, I'm the one who Jesus loved too. And Matthew could have said, the one who Jesus loved. That's the point. John got the revelation of the love of Christ in him. And then all he wants to do, here he is in 1 John you know, the gospel has, has been written. The four gospels are written. History is moving forward. He's older now. We know in 1 John, he's older. And he's uh, possibly, this is where he's on the Isle of Patmos writing this. And he still just wants to tell people about the love of God. It says, and just very quickly, these last verses, it says, verse 16, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. This is so powerful. This is such a big deal. And we, I know we could just brush through these verses. I'm like, yeah, I know that. I know this. I know love, 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 love. No, listen. This guy walked with Jesus in the flesh, called himself the one whom Jesus loves, and he's still writing. He already wrote a book called the book of John about love, and here he is in 1 John writing about it again. This is a big deal. We need to get this revelation that he got that how much, first of all, that Christ loves you, that he laid his life down for you, that he gave himself for you. When that revelation gets inside you, then when somebody hurls an insult at you or is angry at you, you... All that Jesus is saying is, didn't I forgive you? Did you ask me for, for me for, for technically, let's just, be, let's just be really honest. Did you ask me to forgive you before I already did the act on the cross that would give you forgiveness? Technically, when you repent and turn to the Lord, all you're doing is receiving what he already did for you which means we need to forgive before they come to you and say, forgive me, because they may never, ever come to you and say that. But you need to choose to forgive them today because our humanity says, okay, I'll forgive when they ask for forgiveness. But Jesus said, real love is forgiving right now. There's so many things that he just wants to settle in our hearts. It'll just free you. Who wants to be free? Who wants to walk with God? Who wants to know God? Well, he tells us the key, and it's such a simple little word, and we can miss it because the world has tried to define that word, but the Bible defined it, and when you get the definition from the Bible and not just the definition of the word, it's like, okay, love, yeah, that's when we fall in love, or that's when I care for you. No, it's when I literally lay my life down. You will never, ever be ashamed. You lay your life down, and you watch what God does, and with no thanks... Don't lay your life down looking for a pat on the back or a thanks. You just keep laying your life down over and over and over again, and you watch the life that begins to come in you.
you will walk in a way that people are going to say, how can you possibly have that much life in you? How can you have so much joy and hope and faith? How can those things stay inside you? And it's because of love. It all pulls it all together. Let's just, let's, um, we're going to enjoy this day, but let's just stand quickly and we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord God. We just thank you, Jesus, first of all, for your love. We thank you, Jesus, that it's as simple as us telling you, Lord, forgive me, and you remember our sins no more. That's what your word says. We say, Lord, forgive me, and you literally wash away our sins with your blood. And we thank you, Lord, today. I pray that you would deal with each of us, Lord, in the depths of our hearts, Lord. I pray that place of unforgiveness, the places of bitterness, Lord, the places of selfishness, the places of pride, all those things in us, Lord, that are thinking about self and deserving and me and myself and I. Thank you, Lord, that you're so good to us. You're so gracious to us that you love us even while we think that way. You don't stop loving us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to then in turn give you those things and become the same love that you have given us towards others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.